Dana, Matt's wife, came over to our home yesterday, and we were talking about, and I said, are you excited? And she said, uh, it's good, it's good. And I'm going, oh, how do you get excited about coming to a place that you've never been before, but you are on staff now in that place? <laughs> and I thought for Matt, you know, here Matt is up here, he's never been to Northwest, and uh, here he is, right here. But I want to introduce to you... Those of you that have not been part of the creek, but you're part of Northwest, I want to introduce you to Matt Rice. Matt is, uh, I can honestly say, one of my very, very dear friends uh, here in the Triangle. When we got to know each other, it was before both churches launched, Matt contacted me and we met at Chili's in Apex. Mm-hmm. That was my mobile office for a while, and I think it probably was your too. We waved mm-hmm. to each other as we were having our appointments from time to time. And I can honestly say that that first day, I went, I like that guy. I really do. I saw his heart the first day, and over the last six years, he has done nothing but confirmed my first impressions of him. And I know, Northwest, I know that those of you that don't know Matt are going to grow to love this man in an incredible way. And those of you that have been part of the creek, you know what I'm talking about. He is an incredible shepherd of God's people, and you are going to benefit tremendously from his ministry to us together as a church, Northwest Community Church. And so I want to introduce to you my dear friend, Matt Rice. Wow, this is just so cool. And uh, I am honored and privileged to be here and the opportunity to be able to serve with you. I love this guy. And we've had great friendships and great conversations over the last six years, and it has been a common, common conversation of why don't we do this together and why don't we do this together? And I would say that I have been the stumbling block to that relationship, and the Lord has overwhelmed me, overwhelmed me with our current location to really sit there and say, hey, this could be something incredible that we all get to be a part of. And so I just want to say I am glad to be a pastor at Northwest Community Church, and I'm very excited about what God's going to do. A little bit of something about myself. I am a genius at getting lost, okay? Now, if you want to know how to have a relationship with Jesus and how to get to heaven, I can tell you that, and I can do that, but if you want to tell me directions from point A to point B, I'm in trouble. But see, a part of the process is sometimes I feel like I know where I'm going. You guys, you know what I'm talking about, right? I know where I'm going, and so I don't need to access the GPS system in my phone. However, I get about halfway to my intended destination, and something bad happens. I've taken a wrong turn. And I take my phone out, and I love it. I don't have that that nice little lady that talks to me in the Garmin. She's very sweet when she tells you you've made a wrong turn. But what I do is I take my phone out, and I go, and I have the intended destination in the bottom part. But in the top part, it says, current location. And I'm like, yes. And see, here's what God does. God doesn't ask us to go back. He says, I want to take you to the intended destination that I have in place for you from your current location. And I think it's important for us as one church now, Northwest Community Church, to ask God, how can we be better together from our current location? God's not going to ask us what we should have done or could have done or even brought that up. What he's going to ask us is, right from where you are, if you will surrender, if you will give up, then I'm going to take you to a place that will blow you away. 
And I'm ready to be on that journey, and I'm ready to be on that journey with you. I think in the, the book of Romans, it's a great, great story of the grace and how we're justified by God and the salvation and eternal life. And it's a great theology book. And for 11 chapters in the book of Romans, it really sort of unpacks what we have and who we are in Christ. And then in chapters 12 through 16, it sort of unpacks how we can apply who we are and what we have and how we live out, how we're justified by grace through faith alone in Christ. And so I, I wanna invite you to take your Bibles out and turn to Romans chapter 12. And I'm gonna start in verse three. Make a couple of observations from this, this text. And then I'm gonna tag team Brian and he's gonna come from the top turnbuckle and finish it and land this plane for us this morning. So go ahead and take a look at Romans chapter 12. Romans 12 through 16 in terms of those chapters is asking the question, how should those who have been justified by grace respond in everyday lives? I would even apply it this way. Those of us in our current location right here as one church, how can we respond so that we can be better together in reality and not just in theory? So let's take a look at the verse, what it says, in, starting in verse 3 of chapter 12 in Romans. It says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Verse four, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Verse six, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And so really I wanna make about two points for you this morning. First of all, how are we better together? I believe we're better together when we recognize the humility that is needed for this journey. Paul comes out of this gate and he's talking about spiritual gifts. And it's important for us to understand how we use our spiritual gifts. But before he even goes to spiritual gifts and using them and talking about them, he first comes and talks about how we should not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. In the text right here, he's talking about more highly than we ought to. And the placement of this highly endorsed trait is significant not only to our growth, but our effectiveness corporately together. If we're going to be better together, that it's important for our growth to understand the humility that Christ desires, that he endorses, that he talks about, but also how it can impact us together collectively as one church. I would say this, that in 2006, God placed a burden in my heart to plant a church in an area called Northwest Cary. I was a pastor of a church in Apex, North Carolina, and in 2006, God placed that desire for me to plant a church and I was hungry to do that and excited to do that. And so here's what I would do. I, I would sneak out of my office and I would come down and I would drive on this road, Green Level Church Road, that would turn into Green Level Durham, to Durham Road. And then all of a sudden I would end up on this road called Yates Store Road. And that road was a dirt road. And I would drive up and down that road with a friend of mine. And here's what I would ask. I would say, God, since you do not, you don't stop moving, you're always moving. But I recognize you are gonna move in Northwest Cary because that's who you are 
and that's what you do. I want to be a part of this. And so I was on Yates Store Road in the, on a dirt road outside of a neighborhood called Blackstone and, and, and Lexington Park and Arlington Park. And I would stand out there and I, I just would pray. I would pray, God, if it be your will, would you make it an opportunity for me to come out here to be a part of heralding the gospel, watching people come to faith in Jesus by being right here in the, in, at this time? And that was in 2006. In 2008, God brought all of this together, the vision of the church I was serving in and the vision that I had as my own. And we, we came together. And in 2008, we planted a church called the Creek Church and we, we met in Carpenter Elementary School. And not only that, but about 20 families came with us. And we saw God do incredible things. We saw God restore marriages. We saw God save people. We saw God heal people. We saw God do some just amazing things that I will never, ever forget. However, 2012, to be quite honest with you, has been a very humbling year. We've asked a lot of questions. And we've thought about what can we do that's most effective to reach Northwest Cary. And part of my own personal time of with the Lord, praying, studying, talking to good friends like Brian, I came to the realization, and I confess it to you right now, that there was a certain part of me that was trying to protect the name of the creek rather than proclaim the name of Jesus. And I want to tell you something. That is an incredibly humbling point for me in my life. And so the question stopped becoming, what can I do to protect the name of the creek? But what can we do to proclaim the name of Jesus? And so we rested with that as elders. And we rested, we rested in it and we wrestled with it. We even talked this past year, this summer, about what would it look like if we came together? We looked at last summer, excuse me, at last summer, 2012. We didn't have peace. And then all of a sudden, in 2000, late 2012, we went into, ironic as it is, we went into the office at Northwest Community Church, the staff and the elders at the Creek Church. We borrowed your church office. We were in the basement. And I'll never forget that day as long as I live. God overwhelmed me with his grace and humbled our leaders tremendously. And we came away with saying this one thing, what can we do to be most effective in reaching Northwest Gary and the world? And we had a bunch of things written up on a whiteboard and we erased them. And the one thing that was there is we would love the opportunity to investigate partnering with a church that we believe in, that we know is doing it well, and we would like to join them as Northwest Community Church to do it and do it better. But I think for this thing to work well, all of us have to come together and recognize that what Paul is teaching us before he talks about giftedness and passions, he's talking to us about the need and the non-negotiable that it must be an attitude of humility, and that's what he teaches us in that first verse. I can tell you right now, that I am more excited about ministry than I've ever been in my entire life. And I think that God is going to do amazing things in this community and this world because of what is happening right now. And Brian is going to be the lead writer on an article of how to do a church merge or joining. And he's going to write that article one day for the glory of God, guys. For the glory of God. I think there's one more thing that I w would say is the next verse that he says in verse 4 through 8, he fleshes out. He fleshes out about spiritual giftedness. 
And I think I would, I would be clear to say is that when we recognize, this is going to work better together when we recognize that our gifts are to be used to accomplish the mission. First, there is this attitude of humility that is birthed through a relationship with Christ. And then he comes in to flesh out our giftedness. Our giftedness is really important for us to understand. But our gifts are not the savior of the mission. They are used to accomplish the mission. In this text in 4 through 8, there are great sermons and great lessons that we can learn all through this text. But I think the big idea is recognizing that we are one body, which demonstrates our unity. That we are many members, which shows our diversity. And that we are members of one another, which means that we are dependent upon each other for the, greater, for the greatness of the gospel and for the betterment of the kingdom. I would say that we don't need to hide behind our giftedness because in a church like ours, we have to realize there are needs to be met. And Jesus never, never said, well, only serve here if you're gifted. He really said, serve where you're needed. So my hope is us coming together that we'll be able to place people in areas that we are passionate about but also in areas that we are needed so that when we're weak, he is strong and we can demonstrate that. Just to summarize my thoughts here is this. I sometimes drink unsweet tea. Now, I know you're asking, why would you do that? Okay? Well, I'm, I'm a type one diabetic, so I don't have Bojangles or Chick-fil-A sweet tea or that would be a bad decision, okay? So I have sometimes drink unsweet tea, but I never drink it by itself. I always put sweetener in it. And here's what I do when I, the sweetener, is I take the sweetener and I, I put it in and, and I stir it. Because see, if I don't stir the sweetener into the sweet tea, it settles at the bottom and it is useless. And what happens when we understand humility and what happens when we understand our giftedness and what happens is when we stir each other up, we're able to do more for what God has called us to do. Let me read you a verse right here. In, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, it says this, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. We're better together, guys, when we recognize that humility is a non-negotiable. It is not us. It is not you. It is we. It is together. And we are one church in the creek. I happen to be a pastor of Northwest Community Church for and because of the gospel, and I think we'll be better because of it. Thanks, Matt. Well, I can say I'm not a type 1 uh, diabetic. Uh, you can tell by looking at me, I have absolutely no problems with sugar. I consume it <laughs> in massive amounts, at any, although I'm on a low-carb diet right now, and you've yeah. seen it, right? Yes, so I've I been have. pretty disciplined with that, but uh, Matt and I do not share that in common. Other things we share in common, That's the good. gospel, but Amen. not sugar. We don't share That's that good. in common. That's good. Well, you know, the idea of the local church has always been an intriguing thing to me. Maybe it is for some of you. I, you know, the church is the only institution, if you know your Bibles well, the church is the only institution in which God says it will last forever. It's forever. And I know some of you are here with your spouse today and you're thinking, no, we will be together. No, you won't. No, you won't. One day the trumpet's going to blow. You won't be together forever. You'll go to heaven together, but it'll be different then. But the church... That relationship is forever. I love the description that the New Testament gives to us also about the church in that we are the bride of Christ. I get to do a lot of weddings. I love to do weddings because I get a front row seat. I mean, I see things, you know this, I see things, I hear things. Amen. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes 
They we wish did. we didn't hear things, right? Uh-huh. I see things, but I see that love that the groom has for his bride. And as they say those vows, and so many times the tears start falling. And, and I know how much I love my bride. I, I know how much I love Diana. And, and the fact that God says that we are his bride <laughs> is just an incredible thing, isn't it? That we are the bride of Christ. And, and if we men love our brides as much as we do, imagine how much... Uh, Jesus Christ loves us as the church. I also believe this about the church, by the way, that the local church is the key to spiritual development and to the health of us as Christ followers. Don't ever buy into the idea that you don't need the church, that somehow you're going to stay home. And uh, this morning when I was uh, running on the treadmill, I was watching Pastor Adrian Rogers. Some of you have watched him over the years. He's now with the Lord. And, and I thought, man, this dude can preach. I mean, I, I was reminded of that again, and I thought, wow, I could just, and I could just do church right here. I mean, I'm multitasking, right? I mean, I'm, I'm running, and I'm watching Adrian Rogers, and he's exhorting me with the Scriptures. There is nothing that compares with the local church. Nothing. The church is also the visible body of Christ on planet Earth, and it is central to God's plan for every generation. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus or you've attended church for any length of time, you know that the early church began in about A.D. 33, right after the death of Jesus Christ and then three days later his subsequent resurrection. And in Acts 2, we read of that first account. If you have your Bible, turn to that just real quickly. We've only got a few minutes. Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 47. The text says, So then those who had received his word were baptized... And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. I mean, you talk about church growth. That was pretty awesome, right? Amen. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. That fellowship, I believe that use there is the word koinonia, which is a deep, deep fellowship. It's not just like having stale cookies and red punch in the basement of the church, all right? We're not talking about that. We're talking deep relationship. They were breaking bread, they were praying, and look at verse 43, and everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles, and all those who believed were together, and they had all things in common, verse 45. And they began selling their property and their possessions and sharing them with all as anyone might have need. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. They were praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Don't you love that passage of Scripture? That's the description of the first churches that were being planted in the book of Acts, and just weeks after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And i got to tell you, that's what I dream that we will be marked by here at Northwest Community Church, a description like that. If the Lord tarries, it would be incredible for me, a thousand years from now, somehow to somebody say, Boy, Northwest Community Church, and a description, something like that. You know, there's really very little information that's given to us about the early church as far as how they functioned, and I like that. We know really just a few things. I wrote them down yesterday. We know that they had elders and deacons. We know that they baptized those who became followers of Jesus. They took communion together. They loved one another deeply. They prayed. They were continually learning more about Jesus, and they were sharing the gospel with others that they came in contact with. But here's the question this morning. 
and I want to piggyback on where Matt just was, what kind of people does it actually take to accomplish that kind of a mission, to be that kind of a church, to take the gospel to our community and to literally the ends of the earth? If you continue in Romans 12, where Matt was, uh, starting down at verse 9, Paul writes, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. In other words, uh, English word would be hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lacking behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of saints, practicing hospitality. There's two things that really, really scream out to me in this passage about love. First of all, it's love defined and then love practice. Love defined is this, that it is sincere, comes from a Latin word, which basically when you break it apart means it's without wax. You know that some of those early people who were making this pottery were trying to pawn things off in the marketplace that weren't exactly real. It kind of reminds me of where I was last week. This is an original. And I'm going, I don't think that's original. I mean, it says made in China. I'm not sure. I mean, I love the Chinese, but I'm just not sure that that's original. That's what they were trying to do. You know, look at this. It's all, it's just like it. And yet, if you held it up to the sun, you would see that there were cracks in it and that wax had been put in those cracks to make it appear as if it was something that it really wasn't. And so, oftentimes, the artisans would stamp on their pottery sincere, meaning without wax. This is the real deal. (laughs) And I love that because Paul says, as Christ followers... That's how our love should be. We should be marked by that kind of love. The love that is without wax. It's the real deal. In other words, in regard to people, this says that a sincere person is one who is not hiding his true nature by hypocritical words and actions. Some of you are more prone to that, by the way, than others. Some of us, I'm telling you, if I'm upset with a person, Matt and I were talking about this today. If I'm upset with a person, I'm just upset. I do not fake it well, right? I mean, I'm just, I just don't. And, you know, I either got to tell you I'm upset with you and I got to work it out. That's always my preference. Or I just have to stay away from you. But at the end of the day, you know that that's sincere love. If I tell you that I love you, I love you. And, and that's really what Paul is saying, that our love ought to be sincere, without hypocrisy, with just the hypocritical words, the things we say to one another, and then we go behind one another's backs and we stab in the back. And then he says it should be discriminating. For some people, it may come as a shock that right after Paul tells us where to love, he says, now hate. You go, what's up with that? You know, we're supposed to love and now we're supposed to hate because he says we're supposed to hate what is evil and we're to cling to what is good. And the love that Paul is talking about is not sentimental, mushy love like some of us sometimes practice. It's genuine and it's discriminating. And in the next verses, after he gives us, after he defines what love is, he says, this is how to operate. This is how to practice that kind of love in action. And I would say to you today that this is something that we need to remind ourselves here on February 10th, 2013. Look at these things very quickly because I've only got a few moments. We are to express kindness to one another in verse 10. Kindly, by the way, is based on the word kin, meaning family. 
So we're told that we are to love and to treat fellow Christians as we would members of our own family. Now, I, I know that as I say that this morning, some of you especially know if you're like in that middle school, high school genre right now, you're going, I don't even like my sister, so that's not really a great illustration for me this morning, right? But if you've kind of a little bit matured in your relationships with your family, you know that for most of us, we would do anything for our families. I would. There are things that I would do for my sons, for example, that I wouldn't do for just the average person on the street because they are my sons. They're my flesh and blood. They are my family. The Apostle Paul is saying that's the kind of kindness you ought to have towards one another. I shouldn't just look at you and say, well, hey, you're brother in Christ. Hello, brother. Fist bump. I shouldn't just do that. I mean, I ought to love you as my brother in Christ as if you were my own flesh and blood. As if you were my blood brother. That's the kind of love Matt and I ought to express to one another. That's the kind of love uh, that the Apostle Paul says we ought to express to one another. Kindness to one another. And number two, we ought to prefer one another. Verse 10. Here's the idea. You don't wait around for people to recognize your contribution and praise you. I know none of you ever do that. I've done that before. I, I confess. I know none of you have. But I have. You stand around, you're just waiting for somebody to say, that was good, wasn't it? You have anything you want to say to me? I mean, preached a great message just then. You want to say something? Now, you'd never see me standing out in the hallway going, bring it, bring it, just bring it to me. I'd never do that, right? But for some of us, that's the way that we put love into action. That's what we need. And the Apostle Paul said is, no, you're supposed to prefer one another. It isn't about you. It isn't about letting somebody affirm you for the good things that you do or for who you are. We are to be looking at others. Philippians chapter 2, I think that God gave us the best example and, and said, be just like this. And when Jesus came to the earth, he considered himself equality with us. What? The God of the universe considered himself to be equal with me and he came down here and he lived amongst people like you and like me. That's what we're supposed to do. Have kindness to one another, treat you just like a brother, prefer you over me, number three, not lagging behind with zeal, verse 11. This might better be said, don't be lazy. The KJV says, not slothful in business. Now you might say, I don't have a business. Yes, you do. You have a business of being a Christian. It's your responsibility to act like one. You have a responsibility, some of you, that your parents. It's your responsibility not to be lazy, but to be a great parent. And some of you, you're still in middle school and high school. You go to school tomorrow. God bless you. Uh, you're, when, when you go there tomorrow, that's your business. You've got to be a great student. You just go, hey, my, you know. When God was passing out brains, I just didn't get that. That's just not my thing. School's not my thing. No, that's your business right now. Don't be lazy. Do it well. Do it with enthusiasm. Don't be lazy. Number four, verse 11. Bubbling over with spirit. This comes from a verb which means to boil. It probably would be good to say that we should be bubbling over with joy. We should be happy and we should show that in the way that we interact with people. And I know some of you, for some of you, that's easy to do. For others of you going, I'm just not a happy person. Well, get over it, right? I mean, start being a happy person. That's what it means to be bubbling over with spirit. By the way, this is not the Holy Spirit, the member of the Trinity. This is spirit, all right? Act like, like you're alive. 
Like you're actually breathing. There's nothing more frustrating to me than to meet a Christian and you go, wow, I want to be one of you. Right? I mean, come on. We're supposed to be people that are bubbling over with spirit. Verse 11 also, we're supposed to serve the Lord. Matt talked about this. You're to use your gift to serve. By the way, when you're serving others, Jesus said, when you do this to the least of these, you do it to me. Verse 12, we're to be rejoicing in hope. This, by the way, is why you can bubble over with spirit because you are rejoicing in hope, because you have hope. I think about all the people on this planet right now that are, that are living life and they're going through motions. Some of them, that, that they think that they're happy because they have a nice house, they have a nice car, they go on nice vacations. All their kids, you know, have braces and glasses and everything's all taken care of. And yet, as the Apostle Paul said, ultimately they are most miserable because they don't have a relationship with Jesus and they have no hope. We're to be excited because we know the end of the story, don't we? We know what the end of the book says. That one day, all of these troubles, all of these trials, that's all going to be done away with. And ultimately, one day, we are going to be with Jesus for eternity. I was talking to one of my favorite people here at Northwest this morning who's uh, turning 70 today. And I said, isn't it great to know? She said, oh, this is the only birthday that's ever bothered me. And I said, don't let it bother you. We don't live for the dot. We live for the line. Not for the dot. So she's 70 and I'll be 47 Tuesday. Does it really matter, ultimately? Because I'm not living for the dot. I'm living for the long haul. We rejoice in hope. We are patient in affliction. When pain comes, we know that it's an opportunity to bring glory to God. And then lastly, or second to the last, we are faithful in prayer. And that's something at Northwest we've become really convicted of. We talk a lot about praying, don't we? We would pray over every meal, say the same words. In fact, you ought to stop to think about the words that you're praying sometimes because maybe they've got a little old. You need to kind of update your prayer a little bit. We're not really even thinking about it. We're just kind of uttering words. That's not what Paul is talking about here. We are to do what we were instructed to do in Luke chapter 11. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. God wants us to do that as our Heavenly Father. He wants us as Abba, Daddy, to be able to come up and sit on his knee and put our arm around him and say, God, this is what I need. This is what I want you to do in my church. This is what I want you to do in my family. This is what I want you to do in my life. This is the kind of person that I want to be. We need to be faithful in prayer. And then lastly, we should be participating in the needs of the saints. Literally, if you were to look at this uh, passage in the original Greek language, you would see that it means that we are to pursue the love of strangers. I love how, you know, growing up as a church boy, you know, that word hospitality, we throw that around a lot of times, you know. Hey, we're having weenies over at the house tonight after the service, and who do you invite? All your friends. Man, I got the gift of hospitality. Come have weenies at our house with the pork and beans and everything. We're going to practice hospitality. Do you know it's, that's not biblical hospitality? It's not at all. Hospitality, when we see it in the New Testament, you know who hospitality was extended to? Strangers. People that you don't know. That's like going downtown this afternoon and going, hey kids, we're going to practice hospitality tonight, so we're going to go downtown and find some people that we don't know and bring them back to the house and have a good time with them tonight. 
You're going, why can't we call over the Joneses? We like the Joneses. Yeah, but we know them. We want to practice hospitality. Now, I thought to myself just this morning, you know, what a great way to end this today is just to kind of exhort each other to practice hospitality, right? You know what's going to happen as soon as we dismiss here in a little while? You're going to go, hey, man, good to see you. You know, hey, want to go grab some lunch? Let's go over here to Lost Trace. You know, let's kind of hang out. Let's do that thing. That's what you're going to do. And you're going to go, I'm hospitable. No, 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 no. I want to encourage you to be biblically hospitable. By the way, not just for the next few weeks, the next few months, but maybe it would be good to develop this habit. I'm not saying don't hang out with your friends, but look for people that you don't know and look to get involved with their lives in a significant way. You look a little more closely at that passage, you would realize that that was, boy, if you have a need, I want to help meet that need. That's the encompassing idea there. Those are some of the characteristics of a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And I want to tell you this morning that that is our mission here at Northwest Community Church. We want to reach people with the life-changing message of the gospel And then we want to equip people to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And I am so thankful today. I I agree with Matt. I don't think that I felt more excited about ministry than I do right at this particular moment sitting up here with this guy that I love. I, I can honestly say that to you. And if I didn't feel that way, trust me, as you get to know me, you'll understand, I wouldn't blow that smoke at you. I feel that way this morning. And I am so thankful for so many of you who've said, count me in, I'm in. I want to be part of something significant, something that is bigger than myself. I want to do something so that when I'm an old guy or an old lady sitting in a nursing home talking about things that I'm not even sure what I'm talking about, I will have known that I did something that mattered with my life, that little dot, when I was here on this planet for the cause of Jesus Christ, for the cause of the gospel. And that's what this is going to be all about you've been at Northwest, we're not going to miss a beat. We're going to keep going in the direction we've been going. If you've been part of the creek and now you're part of Northwest, we're so glad to have you with us and part of our family, and we're not going to miss a beat. We're going to keep going. And we're going to, you know, as the old farmer once said, we're going to make hay while the sun shines. We're going to do something. We're not just going to talk about it. We're going to do something. We're going to make a difference. And I'm glad that you're on that journey with us. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thanks for this time together this morning. And God, I I just I thank you for the great privilege of just allowing me to be a little part of it. (laughs) I don't deserve to be. I've screwed up enough in my life. I've done enough dumb things that I don't deserve to be here. I don't even deserve to be leading people. And yet somehow in your goodness and your graciousness, you've allowed me to do that. And I just I thank you for it. I thank you for the opportunity to lift up the name of Jesus Christ, to take the gospel, the life-changing message of the gospel to people in this community and around the globe who so desperately need to understand who Jesus is and the price that he paid for their sin. And so, God, we just say, uh, make us one. God, let us, let us do something so great that none of us could ever take the credit for it, but we have to deflect all the praise and all the honor and all the glory to you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.